Now, have you, have you noticed churches? Churches are different, aren't they? You know, <laughs> nobody wants to say yes or no to that, do they? <laughs> I might call on you to say, hey, how so? Uh, but churches are different. You know, I, I remember growing up uh, and there was this so-called church growth movement. Now, in the church growth movement, what they encouraged you to do was to decide what your mission is. Okay? What is the mission of the church? And all these churches would come up with these different things and glib sayings and, and uh, ways to communicate that, mottos and all kinds of stuff. And then they said, then, then after you get your mission, you need, to, you need to figure out what your strategy is to get there. Now, we've been involved in a little series, and it's called Unstoppable. And we talked last week about the unstoppable vision of the church. And that's one of the things they said. Initially, you need to start out and see, what's the vision that God has for your church? I want you to know something. God's vision for the church is the same for every church. You don't have to figure, you don't have to make it up. You don't have to do anything but discover it. And you discover it by reading the Word of God. Now, there's a passage of Scripture, and we don't have it on the screen here, so you just have to trust me that this is true. Okay? You know, it's kind of like if it's not on the Internet, it's not really true. Well, if it's not on the screen, it's not really true. Well, the truth is, is that in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, Jesus commissions his disciples and he's getting ready to leave the earth. He knows that he's going to he's going to die. He knows he's going to ascend to heaven and he's going to leave the earth. And he tells the disciples, he says, I want you to go and make disciples of all the nations. Okay, and you do it by doing two things. Number one, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son and the Holy Spirit. And the second thing that you do is you teach them everything that I've taught you. And then he says at the end, he says, and I'll be with you always, even to the end of the, of the earth. Okay? Now, all you have to do as a church is discover that. That is our mission. And so today, I, I've, I've kind of coined it a little bit differently. And so, uh, just so that you know, and here, let me, before I tell you that, I've got to just say this one last thing. The church is not a country club for Christians. Okay? It's not a place where all the Christians gather and they get away from the world and, and they you know, kind of rub shoulders with each other and say, oh, it's good to be around honest, God-fearing people. You know, that's not what the church is for. The church is for the people who are not yet part of it. Okay? Let's make that crystal clear. We are not here just so that we can escape the world. We are here so that we can become equipped in order to reach people who are not yet part of the church. And so therefore, on your outline, life's mission, it's really the mission of this church, is to do this. To lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. That's why this church exists. To lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, when I say fully I mean that, they, that, that Jesus controls every aspect of your life, okay? He controls your habits, okay? He controls your hang-ups. He controls your, the, the hangouts that you go to. He controls you when you're at work. He controls you when you're with your family. He controls you when you're with your neighborhood. A lot of people lead compartmentalized lives. Did you know that? I was talking with a lady in my car the other day, and I was taking her to a uh, an appointment with a counselor, and she was on her way back. And she's telling me, I mean, this lady, we were in the car for three hours total. I'm not sure she took a breath. <laughs> she is awesome. She was awesome. She's a Christian, and she's just talking and talking and talking. And she's talking about this, talking about that. And finally, I got it. And she finally, I, after about two hours and 45 minutes, she just kind of slumped in the seat, you know. <laughs> and I said, hey, here's my chance. You know, and I'm looking in the mirror. 
I go, oh, yeah. I said, have you ever thought that you lead a compartmentalized life? And she goes, yeah, I do. I lead a compartmentalized life. I'm this when I'm here. I'm this when I'm here. I'm this when I'm here. And, you know, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is not leading a, a, I'm a different person when I'm with my friends than I am with my church people. Okay? A lot of people are different. Now, this might come as a shocker to you. Uh, but a lot of people are different when they're with their friends than they are with their church people. You know, hard to, hard to imagine, right? But sometimes it is. And it's an indication of a compartmentalized life in which Jesus is not the Lord of every aspect of your life. I can't tell you the number of times I'm with people and they'll cuss. You know, and they, they know I'm a pastor. And they say, oh, excuse me, I'm sorry. Like, you know, you have to be different around me than you are normally. And I I try to give people the freedom. Be just who you are. Be who you... There was this lady that was in my car a couple of weeks ago. And she's going and she's just cussing a blue streak and blah, blah, blah. And she says, you know, have you always done this? I said, no, no, I'm a pastor too. (laughs) And And she says, she says, oh, I'm a Christian too. And I wanted to say, I couldn't tell. But she... She, she, she was different all of a sudden because she recognized I was. And I always tell people, you can be the same in front of me. You can say the same stuff in front of me that you can say in front of God. And God is everywhere. So he's everywhere that you talk. And you can say the same stuff in front of me that you can say in front of him. I was doing some premarital counseling one time with this couple. And the late, they didn't go to church at all. In fact, they had not heard of church until they came to premarital counseling. And, uh, and she's sitting there and she's just talking nonsense and she's just talking and talking and she's using the f word about every third word i mean she used it for every part of speech there's known to mankind and pretty soon uh, and we're in my office you know at at a church uh you know that had a real building that was its own and uh i just say that for fun uh but but she's she's just you know f you know and i e i want this is being recorded, too. Uh, but but I, finally, her boyfriend says, she says, he says, Kathy, you can't say that in front of the pastor. And so, you know, I'm, I'm trying to bring a little levity to the situation and, you know, so that she can be real and honest. And I said, you can say anything in front of me that you can say in front of God. And she says, oh, F, yeah. <laughs> I thought maybe my permission would have given her a little bit of insight to say she could tone it down a little bit, but no. You know, but people... People, a lot of times, live compartmentalized lives. I would much rather somebody who is, you know, of that bent displays that in front of me so I know who they are. I don't want them to give an impression that they are something different than what they are because it's not me who is the judge, but it's the God of heaven who is the judge. And so say in front of me anything that you can say in front of anybody else and in front of God himself and recognize that you're talking in front of God every time you talk, so he hears. But... My point is, is that a lot of times we live compartmentalized lives. When Jesus is fully in control of your life, he controls your finances, he controls your speech, he controls your conduct, he controls everything there is. So we need to figure out how can we learn to let him do that. That's what becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus is all about. Uh Uh-oh. What if it's offensive? What if it's offensive? What is offensive to me? Let me ask you. What is offensive to me? It's uncomfortable. I'm going to say it's uncomfortable, but it does not offend me because here's why. The thing that I believe is that we should expect people to act like who they are. If you're, and I'm going to say this, 
because we, we've all been there, right? How many of you are big fat sinners? Okay. How many of you have ever, ever been a big fat sinner? Okay. Hopefully you're not now, but we have been big fat sinners, right? So I expect people to act like big fat sinners. However, that's displayed because when they do that and I can, I can accept that about them, I can love them as they are, but love like Jesus loved, love them too much to leave them that way. And so now I know these people need the love of Jesus. I'm going to provide the love of Jesus. I'm not going to expect them to live up to my standard, and I'm not going to expect them to live up to God's standard because that's not their standard yet. But when it becomes their standard, then I think we should hold each other accountable to that. So I think that that's an, a valuable thing. But I'm not offended by people's sinfulness, okay? And I don't think you should be either. It's not comfortable. We don't enjoy it, okay? But we should not be offended by it because we have not set the rules for them. Now, if I set the rules for my kids and they violate the rules, I get offended by that and I spank them, you know, as old as they are, you know. <laughs> but remember, we, we are uncomfortable, and let's identify exactly what, we're uncomfortable with people's sinful behavior, and we don't want to condone it, and I'm not saying that we should do that, but we should not be offended by it because we did not set the standard for their behavior. God set the standard. Let him take up offense for that. Let him do whatever vengeance he needs to do. Remember, what does he say? Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. We should, not, we should not exercise that. So therefore, we need to give grace. And so therefore, we need to give grace to people to be who they are. But in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 through 47, we see the fledgling church. We see Jesus has now ascended to heaven. He's left his disciples, his apostles, to establish the church. And they've established this church in Jerusalem. And it says this about it. All the believers were together. Okay, circle that word, it's underlined for you. All the people were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together, circle that word, in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together, circle that word again, with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Now, I'm going to give you one word that describes the early church, and it is unity. They had unity. Now, what did they have unity about? Okay, if you read through the scriptures, you'll find that they valued scripture, so they studied them together. They valued the scriptures. They valued the word of God. Now, why do we value the word of God? Because it is written and given to us by the one who made us, and he best knows how we work. Okay? Now, have you ever made some rules for yourself and they didn't work out so well? Ever made choices that didn't work out so well? You know, ever get involved in some habits that didn't work out so well? Okay, that's because we have decided we know better for us than God knows. Okay, and I'm going to do my own thing, and sometimes my own thing works out okay, but sometimes it doesn't work out at all. Okay, I am diabetic. Why am I diabetic? I don't know why, I don't know why they, you know, there's really no definitive answer for diabetes, but I believe it's because I love chocolate cake. I love chocolate cake. And so therefore, I have made some bad choices that now affect me. Every one of us has experienced that. Uh, Not chocolate cake, maybe necessarily, but we've had some bad choices that affect our outcome, okay, the what we become. And so when we study the scriptures together, we're finding out from God who we are. Okay? We're finding out who God is, and we find out how those two things can come together. 
Okay? Now, the Bible reveals that I'm not such a good person in and of myself. Okay? I'm a big fat, what do we call it? Sinner. sinner. I'm a big fat sinner, right? I want you to say together, Pastor Mike, <laughs> you're a big fat sinner. Okay, I'm not anymore, but I once was. Okay, so I want you to know. Now, so I find out from the scriptures that there's all these rules that God has, and man, I don't do very well in keeping rules. And so I realize I'm a rule breaker, and I, I don't do the things that are good for me, because all of those rules are good for me, and I don't do that because I'm selfish, I'm, I want my own thing. And so now I continue reading through scripture, and you know what else it reveals? Not just who I am, but it reveals who God is. And you know who God is? He's a holy God. He's a just God. He's a loving God. And he's all of these things that just are magnificent. And I realized, man, I am way different than he is. I realize that. And then it's the third thing that the Bible teaches is, how does God and I, how do we get together? Well, he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on a cross. And he paid the penalty for all the stuff that I've done wrong. And so now I can accept that, and I accept it by committing my life to be a follower of his. Okay? To do what Jesus would have done if he had continued to live on this earth. And now I get a chance to do that stuff, and I'm free to do it. Okay? So now, that's what it reveals to us. So they valued the scriptures and they studied them together. Okay? Second thing that they did that caused unity was they valued relationships. They valued connecting with people. And so you know what they did? They did life together. They experienced life together. Have you ever gone to somebody's house and had dinner with them and just known them better after having had dinner with them, after having been in their home, after having gone somewhere with them. You just know them better, don't you? You find out some things you don't like about them. But you know them better, okay? And that's what the whole Christian community is designed to do, is to do life together. Now today, we're going to get a chance to do life together. We're going to go bowling, bowling okay? Now if you ever want to know anything about anybody... Get, in, get involved with them during competitive sporting events. You will find out who the rule keepers are. You'll find the people that, uh, well, do sports for the fun of it, not necessarily for the keeping of the rules. We call those people cheaters. Okay? You'll, find, you'll find people who cheat. Okay? Now, I want you to know. I want you to know. I am of the latter variety. I like to do sporting events and interchanges like that for the experience, not necessarily for the winning. And I remember when I was a youth pastor, we would, we would have... Be careful who you listen to here. We would have UNO tournaments. You know how to play UNO, right? It's a kid's game, UNO tournaments. We would be teams and every other person would be on your team, and then every other person would be on the opposing team. Now, sometimes it would get down to the point where, you know, you had one card left, and this person, two people away on your team, had played a draw four on this poor person that's opposing you. Okay? Now, they get a chance to call the color, right? Okay? Now, you have one card. You really want them to call your color. I can perform magic. I can put that card up to my head and I can communicate to the person that's going to call the color and they will invariably call the right color. It's magic. <laughs> to the untrained eye. Now to the trained eye, what they will notice is when I hold it up, if it's a blue card, it's one finger. 
We do it alphabetically so people can remember. Blue, green, red, or you might just be holding it, you know, your cards in your hand like this. Works every time. Now, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, you'll find out when you do life together, people who cheat, okay? Or, like I like to say, people who like to enjoy the game, okay? Now, so they valued relationships, so they did life together. The third thing they valued was generosity. They valued generosity, so you know what they did? They sold stuff they had and gave to the people who had need. Now, I want those three things to be vital and important, the most important values that we have in this church. I want us to value the scriptures, and I want us to study them together. We have a group that meets on Tuesday nights that studies scripture. We just march through a book and study the scriptures. I want us to be a group, a a church that values relationships. We love each other, okay? And we want to do life together. We want to spend time in each other's homes. We want to have lunch together. A couple of weeks ago, we went down to Athenian and had lunch after church. I want you to participate in those things because that's where you learn people. That's where you get to, to rub shoulders with them and find out who they really are. And then I want us to value generosity. I want us to value generosity as a church. I want us to give away money. I want us to give away money. And we're going to get a chance to do that this next um, this month. In fact, we, we have a bigger bank account than we've had in a long time. And we've given away a lot of money recently. And uh, we have a bigger bank account than we've had in a long time. And that's an indicator to me that we need to give more money away. Most people would think, oh, we have a big bank account. We need to save more. You know, no, we need to give more because we are a conduit of God's provision. Okay? When God provides for us, what he's saying, he's whispering in our ear, I want you to give that to the people that have need. And so this next month, we're going to have an exercise. I'm going to need 10 volunteers Okay, I'm going to need 10 volunteers. We'll probably do it not next Sunday, but the following Sunday. So be here. If you want to be a volunteer, I'm going to ask you to volunteer to take $100. We're going to provide it for you. We'll provide the $100. 10 people with $100 each, and you're just going to pray and say, God, what do you want me to do with this? Okay? Now, it might be that he says, I want you to pay a bill with it. Okay? Do that. It might be that he says, hey, you know somebody who needs it, and I want you to pass it on to them. Okay, whatever God tells you to do with that $100, I want you to do it. And then the following Sunday, I want you to come back and share with us what God told you to do. Okay, so I'll need 10 volunteers for that. Okay, be ready. Because I know that we have a hard time getting volunteers to take money. <laughs> Honest, we do. We did this, the, the, ver- the I think, in the second or third week that we were a church. And I put... Instead of taking an offering, we put all the money in the baskets and we passed it around and told everybody to take money. There's $100 in each one of those, you know, and, and I want you to take it. Nobody took it. Nobody. We came back, we had it all left. So the next week I had to be very stern and said, you must take an envelope and use it for your own stuff if you need it. Use it for somebody else if they need it. But be attentive to God. So I want you to be ready. So start praying now. If God wants you to volunteer in two Sundays, I want you to be here. Okay? Now, uh, these, this early church was so unified that they could take criticism. They could take criticism. I remember there's a church in Illinois that started doing some really cool things, really cool ministry. And they started growing and getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And all the little churches around there said, oh, they're just watering down the gospel. They're just making it too easy for people. They're really not calling for commitment. And I mean, these people were giving cars away. They were, in fact, they had an entire ministry where they had 
people that would donate cars, you know, that were running, they had some mechanics that would come and fix them up and do all this stuff, and then they would donate them to um, single moms, okay? Single moms who needed transportation to get to work, to take care of their kids, all that stuff. And I'm saying, you know, all these other churches that were criticizing them were not doing things like that. They really called people to a high commitment of not just adhering to the gospel, but of doing ministry, of touching people's lives. And they received a lot of criticism. I want you to know, when you're unified, you can take the criticism. It's okay. They don't understand really what we're about. And so, therefore, they could take criticism. Uh, they could, you know, the early church was threatened by, by physical harm. Okay? There was threats against them for physical harm. That couldn't deter them either. They were persecuted. Some of them were even killed. If you look back about, uh, there's a Fox's Book of Martyrs, the early church, and how Christians would die at the stake, being burned at the stake, or eaten by lions. And as they were facing their death, they would sing praise to God. I mean, unheard of. It was astounding. People were so overcome by how Christians died that they became Christians. It's not how they lived necessarily, but it's how they died. And it was that they had something in their life that was worth dying for. And so, therefore, nothing could deter them. Nothing could stop this early church. And I hope that we become like that. I hope that we find that in Jesus, we have something that is worth dying for. Never things here in your outline. You type A's are saying, gosh, this message is going to be forever. We're only on the third fill-in. Okay, here it is. What does God want for us? He wants us to be united. He wants us to be united like the early church so that nothing can stop us from achieving our goal of helping people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. Now, what does Satan? We have an enemy, right? We have an enemy, Satan. What does he want? He wants us to be divided, divided. Have you ever been in a church that was divided? Okay, I hate to say it, but there are a lot of churches that are divided that seem like they're okay, but it really, when you examine the inner workings, some people think the church should do this, and some think it should do that, and some think it should do that. So what I've done is I've rewritten for you this passage of Scripture in Acts 2, 44 through 47, as it really appears in some churches. I do not want it to be that way with us. It says, that, and I, I've rewritten it, it's, it's in your outline. All the believers were divided, okay? They didn't have much of anything in common. Hoarding their possessions and goods, they kept as much as they could for themselves. Every now and then, if it wasn't football season, and they weren't too tired, they would come to church for an hour and leave early to beat the traffic. They loved Jesus when it was convenient for them, yet they were despised by people for their hypocrisy, and very few people got saved. Okay? Now, I want you to know that I've seen churches like that. I've seen churches like that. And they'll meet and they'll, they keep the machinery of the church going and all that stuff. I do not want our church to be that way. I do not want to be hypocrites. Therefore, I want if you are, you know, if you're with us today and you sin and you're still identifying with that sinner mentality, I want you to sin. You know, don't, don't hide it. You know, sin. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, make sure that that's your identity and that's how you present yourself. That's how you respond to life situations. So be real. Now, to be part of the church, it necessitates something. And it necessitates having a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. Okay? I talked about it just a minute ago. It's where I recognize that I am a big, fat sinner. I don't want to be that anymore. I recognize the futility of that. I recognize the... the, the, the 
that it's just no good. It hasn't served me well. All it's done is made me more selfish. And I want to get away from that. So therefore, I'm going to repent is what the Bible says. I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to go in a new direction of following Jesus. I'm going to repent and I'm going to believe what God says is good for me is good for me. I'm going to believe it to the point where I will actually do it. You know, it would be like if you came in today and I said, hey, why don't you have a seat? And you look at the chair and you go, mm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure that chair will hold me up. No, I'm not going to trust it. So I'm not going to sit in it. That's what faith is all about. Where God says, hey, sit in the chair. And you say, man, if you say it, I do it. I trust you to the point that I would put my safety, my well-being. I'll put my future in your hands. I will trust you for everything. That's what being a follower of Jesus Christ is. That's what a personal relationship is. And therefore, I don't want to do my selfish stuff anymore. I'm going to turn around and I'm going to follow you, Jesus. That's what a personal relationship with Jesus is all about. Now, I want us to avoid an idea that we're members of a church. How many of you are members of this church? Okay, I want you to be, a, now why are you members of this church? Have you filled out a card? Have you gone through a class? No, you're a, here, you're a member of this church because you choose to be, okay? You choose to be a member of this church and you never have to tell me or anything. You know how you do, how I know who the members are? They're the people who show up and they're the people who follow. Show up and follow. I know who's a member, you know who's a member. Show up, follow. Now, it would be like, and the Apostle Paul uses an analogy. He says it's kind of like your physical body. He says, and I can't say to the foot, you know, I don't need you and blah, blah, blah. But it's kind of like, you know, my arm doesn't choose every morning, uh, you know, whether it's going to be a part of my body or not. You know why? Because it's attached. It's attached. My body, all of the parts of my body are attached. And that's what showing up is all about. It's attaching to the body of Christ. I'm attached. I'm there. And when, when the body needs a hand to grab a piece of chocolate cake, we need people that are available and connected in order to reach their friend, invite them to church, do whatever the church needs to do in order to get the job done. So if you're connected and you're functioning, okay? Now, you, some of you have parts of your body that don't function anymore, right? You know, sometimes my brain is that way. It just doesn't function right. But if you're... If you're part of this body of Christ, a part of the church, that means you show up, you follow Jesus, and you function. You do what God's gifted you to do. Okay? So that's what membership here is all about. Now, I want us to be more involved about the movement of Jesus Christ. The movement. And I want to create a movement here in our church that says, man, I am so overwhelmed. I'm so overfilled. I'm so overflowing with the love of Jesus that some people are going to get splashed on. Okay? I have so much of the love of Christ in me that when I get around people, it just kind of splashes on them. And I want to do good for them. I want to be kind to them. I want to help them. I want to do whatever it is that God wants me to do for them. I want to do. I want to be available. So, therefore, I'm going to ask you to agree to four things. Okay, Number one, I'm going to ask you to agree uh, to do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. Do anything short of sin to reach people for Jesus. I don't want you to sin. Okay. And the Apostle Paul says it really well here in 1 Corinthians uh, 9, verses 19 and 22, the last part of it. It says, I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. Okay. I made myself a slave. That's my job. Often we think that the, the world and its stuff is put here by God for us. 
okay? That we are kind of the recipients of all of God's stuff. But in reality, we are to be people here who are giving the stuff away. It's our job to give the love away, okay? Give God's love away. It's God's resources away, to give God's concern away, to give God's influence away. It's up to us to give that stuff away, not just receive it for our own, for our own sake. In creation, uh, God said to Adam and Eve that they should be the stewards of all of creation. They should take care of it. You know, as you look at our world today and look at our earth today, you know, how are we doing? You know, sometimes pretty good, sometimes not as good. Okay, we need to understand that God has given us dominion over the face of the earth. And so therefore, he's given us responsibility to take care of it. Now, we think of that largely in terms of the environment, right? But really, the, as important as the environment is, it's even more important that we take care of the creations of God, the people of God, the, the life of God, so that we take care of that properly. Now, the children of Israel, when God made a promise with them to deliver them from the promised land, he told them, he says, what I want you to do is I want you to be a blessing to all of the world. He made the covenant with Abraham. And at the end of that, he says, and you will be a blessing to all the people. This church needs to be a blessing to all the people. And so therefore, we need to have our eyes open. We need to have our heads up. We need to be able to see what's going on. Okay. I like the way the Apostle Paul saw it, you know, here in 1 Corinthians 9, 19. I've made myself a slave to everyone, okay, a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some of them. Now, what do they need to be saved from? We need to be saved from our selfishness, from ourselves, because when we are left to our own devices, we make some pretty pitiful decisions, don't you think? We can. Sometimes we make some okay decisions, but sometimes we make some pretty pitiful decisions, and we need to be rescued from that, okay? So, if you do your part, if you do your part in reaching people and inviting them to church, I'll make a promise to you that I will present the story of Jesus in a very compelling way every Sunday, okay? I'll, I'll make that promise to you. Bring your friends, bring your neighbors, bring your, bring your family, bring your coworkers, bring people, bring anybody who will come. Because all people matter to God. Okay? Second thing we agree to do is that we agree to do more with less. You know, we're not a huge church. You know, we don't have a multi-million dollar building and a multi-million dollar budget. You know, we're, we're just a bunch of regular folks that are following Jesus very well. Okay? And so what we get, what we receive in gifts and donations and tithes, we will use very judiciously. In fact, if you're not part of our church, you might not know uh, that, that very few people get paid around here, okay? Very few people get paid. In fact, we pay, uh, we bless some people. We bless our band because they are so awesome, you know? They do the best job of, man, I'll tell you what. If it wasn't for them, nobody would be here, okay? <laughs> Seriously, you know, nobody would be here, okay? So we, we like to pay them to be generous to them because, man, they're, they're awesome people. And we want to build into their lives and so that they can have something established. Now, I'm an old guy, so I don't need so much establishment. So I'll tell you, I do this just like everybody else who serves in this church. I do this for nothing. So we're going to do more with less, and we're going to make sure that the money we spend is available to do ministry, to do 
to build into people rather than to pay salaries, pay rents, pay insurance. We have to pay that stuff, but we're going to keep that to a minimum so that we can maximize the impact of what God's resources are to us. So we're going to do more with less. In Matthew 25, 23, Jesus is teaching, and he says this to some guys that you know, have, have been faithful to him. He says, you have been faithful with a few things. Okay, you've been faithful with the little stuff. And so if you compare our budget to the churches around us, our budget would be very small compared to the churches around us. Uh, and the churches around us do a great job, and I'm not c- condemning them for anything. But we, we have a small budget, so we have a few things. So we need to be very faithful with those few things so that we can be in charge of many things. Okay? And that's what Jesus says. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. So let's be faithful with the resources God, God gives us so that we can be faithful in the influence that he has given to us amongst our friends, our neighbors, our co-workers, and all of those people that we have yet to meet. To meet. Okay? So let's be faithful with that. Now, what do we have? Okay, what are our resources that we can be faithful with? God's given us this building. And we, you know, let's be honest, we pay $1,000 a month to rent this place for every Sunday. Okay, we pay $1,000 a month. Okay, that's one of our resources. Now, we're going to pay $1,000 a month if it's me and Cindy here at church, right? So if there's two of us, it's going to cost $1,000 a month. If we filled this building, or if we filled the seats, and man, we have a good crowd today, but if we filled these seats, put in a few more rows in the back, filled those, and did that twice on a Sunday, you know what it would cost us? $1,000. We could do more with less. Now, some of you say, oh, I don't want to do two services because we won't know the people in the other service. To which I say, so what? If you want to know them, come to that service. You know, come to this service, go to that service, come to this service, go to this service, whatever, if that's, if that's your concern. But some people would say, oh, we would have two, two different churches. What a bummer. You know, we'd have two churches instead of one church Reaching people for the cause of Jesus Christ. Not a problem, right? Okay. Now, there's some of that stinking thinking, I like to call it, that goes on that says, oh, we need to know everybody all the time. And No, we don't. I want people that are involved in our church to be involved in Bible study as well, which meets in the homes of people, which is where you really get to rub shoulders, where you get to meet people. So you're going to be connected. Don't worry, even if we do get bigger. So I say, let's do more with less. Um forgot where it was here. Okay, we have a building. We have finances. So we're going to be judicious about the expenditures that we make so that we have money available to God to make sure that he gets his stuff done. We also have people. Now, some of you raised your hand and say, I'm a member here at Marina Church. And that means that God has brought you to an awareness of who he is. You have confessed your sin, you've repented, and you believe and follow. Okay, that's what that means. And you say that, and you know what you get when you say that? God gives you this special empowerment. The Bible refers to it as a spiritual gift. But it's a special empowerment to do something for God that requires his strength and his power to accomplish. And so we have those as resources too. Some of you are administrators, right? I know two administrators right off the bat. I need administrators because, man, I can talk and talk and dream and talk about this big stuff. And then somebody says, well, how are we going to do it? I say, I don't know. I need somebody that says, hey, here's how we can do this, and here's how we can do that. I see this, and I see that. We need to work together as a team, using each person's strengths so that we can accomplish the good of God in our community. Um, Okay, 
let's go on to number three. We agree to do more together than alone. We're a team of people. Uh, a week or so ago, we got a chance to go have lunch together, and we decided that we were going to leave uh, a $500 tip for our waiter. And so we all had lunch together, and I don't know, there's about 15, 16 of us, and uh, we had lunch together, and at the end, we left him a $500 tip. And uh, I gave it to him, and it was five $100 bills, kind of folded in half, and I gave it to him, and he saw the $100 bill, and he goes, oh, I can't take that. I said, yes, you can, because we have prayed we have asked God to orchestrate this whole thing. We don't know what's going to happen, but we've asked God to orchestrate this whole thing, and he chose you. He chose you to have his money. And he wants you to know a couple of things. Number one, we're a church. We love you. We appreciate what you've done for us today. And God loves you. God loves you. And so we gave it to him. And so um, we, want to, we want to be able to do things like that. We want to do things together. You know what happens when you do things together? You get to see certain individuals that maybe exhibit a little more faith than I exhibit. And I see them do some things and I go, oh, man, I could do that. I think I could do that. So I give it a try. You know, they may speak to a stranger. And I say, oh, I might be able to do that. I could speak to a stranger and say, hey, where do you go to church? And they go, well, I don't go to church. Oh, would you like to come to mine? You know, just come and see. Just come and see. Check it out. Come and see. If you like it, stay. If you don't, don't. You know, but just come and see. And see what God will do. Okay? We can do that because we travel together. We do more together than alone. And notice what it says in Acts. Did I get to that part? Okay, more together than alone. So I'm, I'm all over the place here. Okay, in Acts 4, 34 and 35, it says, There were no needy persons among them. In this church, this fledgling church, there were no needy persons among them. Why? Well, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put them at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Anyone who had need. That's why I believe that God is blessing our financial situation so that we can be a church like this, so that when somebody has a need, a genuine, legitimate need, not just, gosh, I wish I had a new car, you know, but it has a legitimate need, that we become the resource for that need to be supplied. I believe, I believe you know, and, and I dream big sometimes, but I... I have this idea that we should not have a social welfare system in our country. We should not have that. Now, some of you might work there, and I don't, I don't want to do, put you out of a job. But I believe the church ought to be that agency. The church ought to be so in their community that they know who has a need. And we'll, we'll do whatever we have. We'll raise money. We'll take contributions. We'll sell something so that people can have a need. When people see that, they experience the love of God, along with the supply for their need. When they get money from government, you know what happens? They expect more money from the government. They don't experience the love of God. They don't experience a transformation. They don't get to experience all the stuff. That's why I believe the church should be the conduit for God's resources to touch the community. Now, what if we, just by chance, partnered with another church to help them do something that's really of value? You know, Bill and I were talking this morning about a church in Vacaville that has this great feeding ministry. And he said, you know what, what, you know, could we model some of that stuff? And could we maybe uh, catch on to that? And I said, yeah, but let's not, you know, I, I think there's times where we can need to duplicate a ministry. Sometimes there's a time where we need to just support a ministry that another church is doing. I remember uh, when I was at my former church that we had a, a feeding ministry that went on every Sunday. 
And we would have people from other churches come and cook the food and distribute the food and, and be resources for that. Now, you know, our people didn't do all of it, but there were other churches that came to support that. We want to be a church like that. We want to be a church that is not threatened by the ministry of another church. Okay? There are a lot of churches out there that are threatened by other churches doing well because they think if they're doing well, gosh, our people will go there. Well, if there's a church that you find that's doing better than we're doing and feeding you the word of God and doing ministry and empowering you, go there because that's where God's kingdom gets built. But if it's here, stay here and help us to become that kind of church. Okay? I'm, I'm thinking about the fire-ravaged uh, city of Reading. Uh, I drove through that on my way to Wairika last Friday and came back, and, and man, it's just smoke everywhere. And across every overcrossing, uh, they have the fence, you know, the wire thing to keep people from jumping over. They had banners on there, thank you firefighters, thank you paramedics, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I thought, what a bummer. There was not one I, I didn't see one sign that said, hey, thank you, Marina Church. There wasn't one. And I thought, you know, what if, you know, and in fact, last week, I challenged you, and this is, this is really going to be risky for me here, okay, right? Because I'm going to ask you, how many of you called another church to say, hey, how can we help? Okay, I'm just going to say this. Shame on us. Shame on us. Um, we have we have a God who owns everything in the world and he wants to use us but we have to do something we have to say hey I'll make a phone call I'll call a church and say hey what do you need what can we do? Can we send you money? Can we send you resources? You know, I think that maybe what we probably ought to do is maybe get a car full of people and go up there with some money and go to the, home, to go to the fire shelter and find somebody that we can help. I don't know, maybe something like that. Okay, Andy. Right on, right on. Let's get a connection. Let's get a connection. Right on, okay. And if there's just a person, oh, this family, they have three or four kids and they've been displaced and they have no resources and, and they're having trouble getting in with the Red Cross and FEMA and all that stuff. Man, we can help. We can help. Okay. Number four, we agree to do what it takes to make a difference. I love what Paul writes here about God in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. He focuses his eyes heavenward, I believe, and he says this. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, uh, than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is worked within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now, what are the two things we need to do from that, from that scripture? Okay, write them down here. I didn't give you a place to fill them in. Put it in the margin. Number one, I want you to this next week, imagine. I want you to imagine because God can do what? God can do more than we can imagine. God can do more than we can imagine. So I want you to imagine. And here's what I want you to imagine. Imagine what God could do through you if you weren't scared, if you had all the resources you need, 
if you were bold, and if you were available. Okay? What could God do through you? Just imagine that. Okay? Then I want you to maybe write it down. Okay? Because then the next thing I want you to do is ask. He can do a major, immeasurably more than all that we could ask or imagine. So imagine first and then ask him to do that through you. Ask him to do that. Just help me to connect with somebody. Start small. Okay, start small and build big. Okay, start small. Say maybe, God, who could I invite to church? Or who could I help with a task this week? Or who could I do whatever? And just start imagining what that would be like and then ask God to do that. And then don't be surprised if it doesn't look exactly like you thought it would look when you imagine it, because what? He can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. So put that, put that, that scripture to work this week and imagine and then ask God to do that. Now, when you show the love of Jesus, it brings credibility to the Christian faith. So when you imagine and when you ask God to do something, he's going to give you the opportunity to love somebody and he's going to then give the Christian message credibility. Now, people a lot of times would say, you know, I, I, and here's what I hope we hear in the future. People saying, you know, I don't know about this Jesus thing, but I know those people at Marina Church, they take him seriously. I need to investigate. I need to investigate. They have something that I don't have. And I need to have that because I see peace. I see comfort. I see uh, stability in life. I see good decision-making. I see all of this stuff. And so therefore, I want what they have, and I'll investigate this Jesus thing. And that's all we're asking people to do. Investigate the reality and the truth of Jesus. Now, God will multiply our impact when we exercise the power that he has given to us. That's what he says. I can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. And it might not look like what you think it's going to look like because our imagination is what? Pretty limited, you know, pretty limited. But the more we see God do, I hope the bigger the imagination we get. I hope we can see God do some incredible things and say, wow, he can do more than that, I know, because he says, I can do immeasurably more than you can ask or imagine. So I'm going to ask you to do something today. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads just for a minute. And I'm going to ask you to make a commitment to help us do what we've talked about doing here. Okay? Just close your eyes for a minute and think. Imagine what God could do in our church. Imagine what he could do if we just ask him to do it. Just imagine. And then I, this next week, I want you to make that the bulk of your prayer life. Just say, you know, there's other things you're going to need to pray for. But, but always remember, God, help us to achieve that imagination that we have exercised. Help us to achieve the things that you have for us. And there's some of you here today... They're not quite ready to do that because you haven't really dealt with the whole issue of who am I? You know, am I a follower of Jesus or am I just a follower of me? And you may need to make that transition because Jesus came to this earth to do two things. One, to reveal who God is. The second thing he came to do was to sacrifice himself because of all of the stuff I've done wrong, all the bad decisions I made, all the stuff I've done. And he, and he satisfied God's justice by dying on a cross. So therefore, today, you might need to pray a prayer like, Lord, I confess that I've messed up. I've been selfish. I've done things wrong. And I ask you to forgive me for that. And I want to make a commitment today to follow you for the rest of my life. I want to repent of my old ways. I want to believe you and trust you and follow you for the rest of my life. 
Father, we bow before you and we lay our souls bare before you. Let you know that, boy, without you, you know, life can be pretty bleak. I pray that uh, you would help us to recognize that you are the creator of everything that we have here. You've created this earth. You've given us dominion over it. We haven't done as good a job probably as we could have. Uh, but Lord, I pray that you'd help us to receive forgiveness and do better. I pray that we have a, we'd examine our own lives and recognize you've given us this life, but we haven't been too responsible with it either. We've done things that have harmed us. We've done things that have hurt. And so, Lord, we ask you to forgive us for that. And we ask that you would lead us. We ask that you'd give us courage. We ask that you'd give us stamina. I pray that we would not become weary in doing good stuff. But at the appropriate time, Lord, you will reap a harvest because of our tenacity to keep on doing what you've instructed us to do. So, Lord, we love you. We say thank you for the sacrifice of your son, Jesus, that paved the way for us to get to know you. Lord, I pray that you would change lives here this morning. I pray that we would be different. Every one of us who have experienced you and your spirit this morning would be different. Lord, we love you. We say thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.